0: side with andrew gunling and jj DeVani. oh yes caught off side from the suburbs of new york city in an apartment in brooklyn andrew gunling and jj Devaney, what's up brother
1: oh man I, I, we've had a pre pre-pod conversation and i'm chuckling the chuckling has continued into the start of the podcast on this dreary day you have uplifted me sir
0: well it's really courtesy of you and don't worry everybody if you're if you're annoyed jj and i are bringing inside jokes to air no 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 this will all be part of the show coming up a little bit later on i believe in your man of the match
1: yeah uh (laughs) i can't stop laughing it's it's one of my favorite men of the matches ever and it is many men involved in this by the way it's very very good so stick around for that
0: if uh if for nothing else let's see we have a lot to talk about today there were uh Obviously, some huge games over the weekend. El Clasico in Spain. We're going to talk about that. Um, lots of things happening in the Premier League, including Manchester City, and if they're causing us to now maybe need to wonder about them a little bit. Uh, obviously, this is a Champions League week, which is a why we're here slightly earlier than normal, and b why will we uh, why we will discuss some of the uh, the upcoming matchups in Match Day Two of the competition, red cards, man of the match, lots and lots to get to on this Halloween week, JJ, this very spooky haunted week. Uh, I
1: love Halloween. I love the season. I, my
0: house is decorated. I'm a big fan of this holiday. Are
1: you dressing up? Uh last year I dressed up as Takashi 69 and oh, it was yeah, br- right. It was I, brilliant. It was I remember was, I was
0: worried about you because that's when like that's when things were going down. Right.
1: And I you and I know, you, your
0: could you're kind of, be so convincing that those who were seeking retribution may be confused.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Rather than the fact that I'm just like a white boy with a, with ponytail.
0: Um, Basically. Yeah. It would have had to be a dimly lit room.
1: It would have. Uh, I I am, I am quite pale. I would not have put And the tats because I've got a massive head. The tats that I got didn't quite fit my head. If you look. (laughs) No, I'm proud though, that you've kept them. I have kept them. I, I have kept them. I'm, I'm looking to get into the rap game myself. Oh, there's a very famous rapper featuring right at the end of the podcast, too. Oh, man, just so many teases.
0: Yeah, well, let's get right into it now, JJ. So I was thinking about some of the games from over this weekend. And, you know, oftentimes, and this is not just you and I, this is everybody in media. They throw around the term oh, statement game. You know, that was a real statement game. What a statement win. Ooh, that was a statement that they didn't come away with those three points. Ooh. So, I, so I was thinking about that and I was thinking, okay, like people throw that term around. It felt like this was a weekend in particular where I was getting that sense more and more from various matches that were played across the globe, not just in England, uh, not just even in Europe. Uh, I felt like I was hearing that pertaining to all kinds of matches around the world. So I thought, let's actually put it to the test. And I've picked out five different matches from over the course of this weekend, where I felt like somebody somewhere was describing it as a statement in some way. And you and I will go through these and we'll parse through them and we'll determine whether or not any sort of statement was actually made in these matches. Are you ready for
1: this? I'm ready. I I love statements. I'm I'm a big fan of them. And um, my favorite is a communicado Oficial, which usually comes from Spain. And that's an official statement about something going on at a club, but these are fine. These are fine
0: okay well let's start with spain as a matter of fact jj number one on my list here was as we mentioned earlier el Clasico, and the statement being with real madrid winning this one three one did real madrid make the statement that they have further separated themselves from barcelona
1: i i I don't think so andrew I, i i can't see the statement in this um can it not just be two giants of the game who are in the kind of in the same place together not very good um Like Real Madrid were better in this game, but let's not pretend they blew Barcelona away. Had Coutinho nailed his second half header at 1-1, it's probably a different game. And uh, Longley giving away the penalty was just so frustratingly unnecessary. And let's not pretend either that uh, Real are on some planet and are just pulling away from Barcelona. They're like in the midst of this amazing rebuild that's leaving their Catalan rivals behind. They got beaten by Schachter's COVID kids just last week. So no, I'm not, I'm not making that statement.
0: And they had an even worse loss domestically before that.
1: Yeah. We, can, um, we These are just two teams in a Derby that really are a shadow of what they were.
0: Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. I do not believe that there was really any statement made here. And, and you said that Real Madrid were better than Barcelona. And look, the scoreline would suggest that, but I actually felt like on the balance of play, it was pretty close.
1: Yeah. No, no. It felt
0: that's like there was fair, you know, like you mentioned Coutinho, there was, you know, Messi still had, I, I could think of any number of like moments of havoc that he created where he just couldn't quite get off like the best attempt to finish yeah. it off. Um, Ansu Fati, in addition to his goal, continued to look dangerous throughout the match. Uh, you mentioned Coutinho by himself at the far post, couldn't finish a header that he, he really should have um there was kind of that like moment of chaos in front of the net I forget who it was was it Jordi Alba who played in a cross yes and like it got kind of stuck in Coutinho's feet after it had been pushed out by uh by Courtois where you know if it takes a different bounce and it falls to a Barcelona player differently they score there so I actually thought that you know Barcelona fans obviously will be furious with this and they won't feel good about uh the state of their club right now which is kind of just like generally how they feel I don't even believe that's specifically from this match but I actually thought that this game was was fairly even
1: no, I, I agree with you. I think Real Madrid shaded it slightly, particularly when Kuman made the substitutions in the second half. It seemed as if Barcelona lost some impetus and chances on the transition started opening up, and and that's how we saw. I mean, look, they didn't score their third goal until until late in the game through Luka Modric. So I under I understand those points you're making. The, the most striking. Um, commentary on this game I found was from a friend of ours who he's the friend that we don't text anymore that we don't invite out anymore he we still call him a friend but for some reason we've sidelined him and that's Sir Dan of Thomas from ESPN FC Uh, Dan tweeted striking thing from Barca was the complete and utter lack of fight from them as the game went on I felt that as well I felt as if if there was a meme to sum up Barcelona's mood as the game progressed, it was Messi's looking to the heavens, kind of swearing under his breath after the the second goal went in, after the penalty was converted, um, the decision to give the the penalty. Um, they just seemed to lose belief in themselves. Not everywhere. Um, I actually, we're going to talk about him in a minute. I thought our boy Serginho Dest kept up a, a good level of of play throughout the whole game. But it did seem to be that Barcelona had the life sucked out of them all the way. Well, not all the way, but as that second half progressed, uh,
0: yeah, I could see that a little bit too. You're right. The penalty was kind of a, a moment of like demoralization for Barcelona because it, no did, for it, it. it did feel unnecessary. And you know, may, maybe they thought they got away with it, and then the the VAR review. And look, like some people might want to call that ticky tack, but you kind of know on, on like a free kick if you're or a corner kick if you're pulling somebody's jersey in
1: the box. It just, it makes it easy for the official. Um, And I don't think he was going to make that cross. And if he did make that cross, he would have been going backwards and the header probably wouldn't have been that strong. And Barcelona could maybe have cleared their lines. I just thought it was, it was pointless.
0: Yeah, and now look, I don't want this to all be just about Barcelona. Like you said, we will mention um, Sergio Dest in a moment, but Real Madrid did play. They did play decently well. I thought their opening goal was was important to make that quick statement. Barcelona did respond within minutes. Mm. Uh, but you know, Benzema not usually accustomed to the role of playmaker, but he was he played it nicely there with a great ball in to set up the goal. Um, and then you know we talked about the penalty, and then Luka Modric at the end put, uh, providing the finishing touch with Neto out of net, good finish from Modric. Uh, so look it's for for Real Madrid, you're coming off of two bad defeats. Um, and now you're playing Barcelona on the road. So for them to come out of this scoring three goals and coming away with three points, it's certainly like this could have. They really kind of needed this. I mean, what would, the, what would their mental state be right now if they were coming out of this with
1: another bad defeat? They certainly did, but um, it, it doesn't make a statement about their longer term health whatsoever. And I think Agreed. that's the conclusion me and you have come to.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Let, while we're talking about this game, like I said, let's talk about Serginio Dest because this was a pretty—I mean, as far as big occasions go in a domestic setting, this is about as big as it gets. And to have an American play ninety minutes in it and play pretty well, and to be as young as he is, uh, it was—it was a pretty cool thing to see.
1: Look, um, people know we're going to bang the drum for for U.S. talent, and we have listeners all over the world. So let me let me frame it for them. It's not unusual. For a graduate of the iX academy to turn up in Barcelona in their colors and play for them that's not unusual What's very unusual and has never happened is that we have a graduate of the u s national team system do that. This was a big day for u s soccer and he acquitted himself brilliantly. I thought um he had the most successful dribbles five for a Barcelona player in the game, and there were just moments, Andrew where you had to pinch yourself and in pinching yourself you felt good i'm not talking about some kind of weird thing here it was it was a it was a really nice feeling to see a us player play like this and you you had to check whether this was real or not there was just two moments for me there was the first half where he combines with coutinho and his cross is cut out it's just such wonderful feet from from uh, from Sergio Dest and it's a shame he didn't dig out a better cross. He was very good in in tackling generally and um the moment in the second half he's running onto a ball that he's probably not going to make and Sergio Ramos comes out of the center and instead of trying to even make a play to keep it in no nonsense slides and puts it out of play. He doesn't even want to take a chance that Dest gets beyond him because there will be no way back for his old legs and and it just it just kind of summed up that he's arrived. There was a certain respect level. When he attacked with the ball, he attacked with purpose. He laid on some nice passes, some telling passes. Look, like I said, is it shocking to me that an IX graduate is comfortable in the Barcelona style? No. But is it amazing to me that it's a U.S. national team player? It's it's, it's magnificent. It was a banner day. For the U.S. soccer, uh, for the development of U.S. soccer, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned how he, com- he completed the most successful dribbles of anybody on Barcelona. I saw this also from at USMNT only. Uh, also completed forty two of his forty four passes. Uh, he recovered six balls and only committed one foul on the day. Uh, so, I mean, look. In the end, he won't be happy. They lost. Uh, no, but he wasn't. But like, our American brains were smiling. As oh, was, Sally as Field! Was
1: out. Sally Field went crazy you like us you really like us yeah by the way
0: hopefully i guess we should mention that uh what was the uh that us soccer over the was it over this past weekend um pointed out that there will be we had speculated that there was going to be some kind of european friendly uh upcoming um i know that australia had been tabbed to be one of those but australia has now backed out of whatever european friendlies they were going to be playing yeah. next month no uh, we're going to the us does have still Wh- have
1: one lined up yeah we're going to have wales um on the twelfth of November, yeah. two forty-five PM kickoff. Um, so that's look at. We'll we'll have to see how that all shakes out, but for now, that's on the slate.
0: Can't wait. Uh, all right, statement two, JJ. This comes from West Ham and Manchester City, and the statement being: Did Man City make the statement that their best football
1: under Pep is behind them? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> can Can I suggest this has been a long statement? This statement started being read maybe a few months ago, and and we're at the final paragraph of the statement. I'm going to say yes. Um, On this podcast, all the time, I refer to what I call PepBot 3000. That's where Pep's very, very orchestrated system breaks down. Or when Pep giving instructions becomes tiresome isn't the word, but just it's too much. They've had enough of him. The players have taken in all that he has, and and they're at the end of this particular cycle. And I think we've reached that. Um, Miguel Delaney had a nice piece in his match report about just that kind of feeling. Um, And this is what he writes. At their peak, Guardiola City were a side who seemed to endlessly rotate and interchange position. The angles of their play creating a kaleidoscope of movement, movement that just dazzled opposition. There was none of that here. This was just a lot of flatness both in application and in city shape. In a distinctive remove from the kind of movement of 2017 to 2019, the deposed champions here regularly fell into straight lines. There was one passage of open play in the first half that saw seven of them stood in a row, something you would never associate with a Guardiola team. He also writes a, a longer piece about Raheem Sterling and how he's kind of a totem of city in decline. Not that he's still a great, not a great player. Not that he's not still excellent it's just he's off a little percentage city are off a little percentage and things don't work when they're like that so it's
0: interesting you're right pep is pep is not without blame here Uh, i would agree with you on that but i'm not blaming him i'm just saying there's there's a cycle and it's over maybe right right um but mark ogden actually just this morning has a, a piece up at espn fc talking about manchester city And he is basically of the opinion that this is not necessarily just a pep issue, but this is something that we don't necessarily equate with Manchester City's problems, that this is a transfer market issue. And that Manchester City, much like what we saw, he says about uh, with Manchester United kind of post Sir Alex Ferguson with some of the the moves they made, high profile signings, um, expensive signings, but players who just were not as good as whoever they were being expected to replace for that club. And Mark Ogden says, we're kind of seeing that now with Manchester City. Um, Like look at the players who have come in recently for them and then look at the players who were most impactful during Manchester City's, I guess, high point of this, of this era. You know, when we talk about like Aguero, Yaya Torre, David Silva, uh, players of that caliber, that you don't really feel like, you know, I'll, I'll even say Raheem Sterling since he was bought several years ago. Now he it feels like he's, he's still young, but he's been there for a while. You know, with the, with only like a few exceptions, it feels like Manchester city are not bringing in those kinds of players anymore that are necessarily of that ilk, but they're still spending similar amounts of money. Um, and that is, that has proved to be problematic for them. Like I look at guys, JJ, there's still, you know, I look at what's happening at Bayern Munich right now at like Leroy Sané scores over the weekend young player, cost a lot of money. Why didn't he work there? Like, Why could that not have worked? I remember thinking at the time, this is strange that this guy can't get on the field for, in this system. But why can't he play for them?
1: It did work for a while, but he was never ever cemented into Pep's mind. But look, look right now at Bernardo Silva. He was the next one I was going to bring up. Yeah. We, we thought he was going to be a mainstay to replace, not to replace David Silva. He, he, while David Silva was there, he kind of emerged as this, as this brilliant signing. And now that's not working anymore why it's it's weird i mean and look there are certain signings now that
0: we'll just have to see like nathan ake it's like the ink is still fresh on that signing so we'll have to see if that comes good um but yeah some of their moves just i don't know for whatever reason they're just they're just not panning out the way that some of these past superstars were for this for this club
1: yeah i mean there's an argument there's a real argument to be made that and, and certainly it is being made in the media that, you know, this is the start. If Pep would were to stay on, this would be the start of another huge half a billion dollar investment into the club where he takes it into a new cycle and he moves on the likes of Aguero. Maybe even looks at a Gabriel Jesus and thinks, OK, I've given him a good shot. It's not working. We need to go big again and find those big transfers. Would he even look at moving on? Um, well, I, I, I'm trying to think of other players. There's a lot of other players that have been brought in. To your point, and it well, just I mean, had- like
0: like Benjamin Mendy costs fifty one yeah, million.
1: I know, you know, I know. There's been a lot of of transfers, particularly made in the in the fullback and centre half positions for City that just haven't panned out. And you often wonder the fact that they didn't win the race to Virgil Van Dyke, how much that kind of changed things for them because he'd still be a mainstay there for them, and and. Yeah. It, would would have solved a, a lot of problems you would think um but you know sometimes it's not about bringing in players like you know Hansi Flick comes in and 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 yes he there have been players brought brought into Bayern Munich but not that many and what Hansi Flick has done is kind of changed the message it was different from what Kovac was saying it was different from what Bayern Munich were hearing and he comes in and he finds a style of play that works and who knows maybe city's next move which is difficult for them because the club has been built in his image, but maybe City's next move is to bring in a different voice, and that freshens things up. You just don't know.
0: Yeah, and look, the other problem for Manchester City, if we're looking at this season and thinking, okay, when are they going to right the ship? This is not this is not an easy task that lay ahead of them. Listen to this from uh, Jonathan Smith at Goal.com. He wrote, uh, with a minimum of two games a week between now and the new year, the strain on the City squad is only going to increase and the City boss has to somehow manage the demands placed upon his players. City's players are already tired, with the start of the new season in September coming barely a month after City's disastrous Champions League quarterfinal loss to Lyon in Lisbon. An almost non-existent preseason was exacerbated by the fact that so many first-team players have either struggled for full fitness or tested positive for COVID-19. This is the problem for Pep, JJ. With this poor start, eight points from five matches, um, is he going to feel desperation to continue to play what he believes is his A squad in both the league? Because now with them being bot- like lower half of the table, they're going to have to work their way back up. He can't really, like can he afford to give big name players games off? By the same token, he has even more desperation before he exits this club, whenever that may be, to win a Champions League. So he can't take games off there either so like like Kevin De Bruyne is just coming back from injury can he play him is he gonna have to play him every game yeah you know, like can you like Sergio Aguero just came back from injury and now he's injured again like yeah. this I don't know he's gonna have a hard time managing a squad that suddenly doesn't feel as large as Manchester City squads in the past
1: well first of all like lots of clubs are going through this right now your your own club in particular and and, and hence why they probably bolstered so much um in the transfer window You see, it's hard to speculate on this until we know what Pep's mindset is. Is it possible that he's looking at this as the end of the cycle? This is his last season and that he maybe wants to do something along the lines of focusing on the Champions League. If that's that's even something that you can do, can you push all your chips in on the Champions League and say league form will do our best, obviously, but we're prioritizing? But, they, this, but they, this,
0: they can't do that. They've
1: spent this, too much money where I have to believe the the
0: board and those in charge at that club would would find that unacceptable. That Manchester City couldn't – and look, we're talking about the flaws in these players, but they still cost a ton of money to assemble this squad. And there will be people in that room that say, uh-uh, make, you have to make it work. We cannot be an embarrassment in the league at the expense of another competition. That's not good enough for us.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. I'm just speculating here.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's legit thought. All right, next one, JJ. This was the big one. This was the big one uh, over the weekend, and it was back here in MLS in the United States in the Northeast. JJ, the Philadelphia Union 5, Toronto FC 0. Did the Union just make the statement that they are now the team to beat in MLS?
1: Um, I'm going to say that they did, Andrew because they just smashed their conference rival 5-0 and in some style and in doing so looked every inch the the championship competitors it look they're right neck and neck at the top of the eastern conference this was I think particularly with two weeks left in the regular season, you can say this was a statement game. And the statement that Philadelphia made is that they're firing on all cylinders. I I buy that statement. I will subscribe to this statement's newsletter. I'm 100% behind that.
0: And I am 100% behind you because I agree fully that this was a statement five nil against the only team ahead of you in the race for the supporter shield, which is now back by the way, by popular demand. Um, that how could that not be a statement and it's not just it's not just the fact that they won 5-0 uh, sometimes we'll say things like this and we're kind of exaggerating a little bit we're just trying to kind of like hammer home a point jj i am not exaggerating when i say it was 5-0 it could have been 10 and it, it probably be. should have been
1: every bit of it
0: and it was just and it was from minute z, like minute 1 all the way through to the end of this game it was one way traffic nonstop every player it felt like for the union were involved their fullbacks were phenomenal in this game uh, santos with a with a hat trick he's in fantastic form right now brendan Aronson looked great again andrew how good was wagner? wagner his first his, his the opening goal his ball into santos was you you can't play a ball better than that no you can't uh, this was this was as convincing a win as we've seen in this league this season. Uh and if you're Toronto, I mean, you had to be feeling good, but now this I guess we'll see how they respond to this because you know like there's a good chance so the Union they're basically losing a game a month right now. One game a month is kind of like what it averages out to be for the Union. Uh, and their last loss was at the beginning of this month in October, a 2-1 defeat October 3rd to Toronto. And some Union players talked after the game about how that was important to them. Was coming out in this game and sort of writing that wrong and showing people that that they believe they're the class of of this league, and so it made me wonder that okay, what just happened over the weekend to Toronto was tenfold what happened to the Union when the Union lost to Toronto, they actually led that game one nil and Toronto right. came back in one. It was a, it was a really close game. This was embarrassed. Toronto were embarrassed. Leave, they left this one truly embarrassed, and so you wonder now. Okay, if these teams are to meet again in the postseason. Will that same effect now play for Toronto in their favor? That they were embarrassed, and they'll want to now make their own statement, saying that's not really who we were. Um, the only difference being, you know, like I-, I look at Philadelphia, and their defense in this game was never even really called into action, and they're strong there. You know, their goalkeeper Andre Blake may be the best goalkeeper in the league the way he's playing right now. So, like there, there's just no, there's no point of obvious weakness on this club from back to front. And I think that uh, I, it, I I don't know that I want to make predictions now for the postseason. We'll have to see how things shake out, but I will say that uh, yes, a statement was
1: made that the union should be considering themselves the team to beat. I mean, will Potzuelo ever have a quieter game ever? I, d- the stats from this one for me uh, stood out um, 27 shots from the Philadelphia union, 12 on target um toronto three shots one on target and they had similar the possession was pretty even and so were the passes but just in in, in terms of total offensive domination this was such a statement by the way i would like to nominate montero's goal that goes in off the underside of the crossbar mm. lovely ball in from the side brendan aronson with uh just the gorgeous step over, great awareness. Montero stops it, rolls, has enough time to roll it out of his feet, which I'm sure Greg Vanny won't be happy about, and whips it into the top corner in off the crossbar. That's my favorite goal I've seen in MLS since the restart of the regular season. I'd love to hear everybody else's. Didn't you just nominate, what was it a couple of weeks ago for Sporting Kansas City that you nominated as oh, the greatest yeah, the goal you've ever seen
0: the in the, the history of the That's league? But right away,
1: been, two weeks later, it's been topped. I am very easy to sway Very easy.
0: That but the thing about that goal though, yeah, it was it was very nice. You're right though to bring up Greg Vanny and how he must have been feeling watching that because this happened repeatedly throughout the game. But like when I saw that ball played to Montero, my initial instinct was, well, he's gonna have to take this first time. But he didn't. Like the defense didn't really react. He had time to settle it and play it into his path of where he wanted it to give himself the best chance to score without anyone for Toronto really
1: even trying to close him out. Maybe that's why my, it can't be the greatest goal of all time when there's zero pressure on you. Zero. He had all day. He could have lit a cigarette, taken a long draw, read the newspaper, had a cup of coffee before he let that one off.
0: This was this was truly convincing. A buddy of mine, Chaffe was there actually. Was the, he? Uh, in attendance. Yeah. They're letting in limited crowd and he was there.
1: They, let it, they I mean, they let him in. It's incredible. I mean, <laughs> okay, The man's a hooligan.
0: What a game to be at. Oh, my goodness. Um, all right. Next one, JJ. Our fourth here out of five. We go back now across the Atlantic Ocean over to England. The South Coast, as a matter of fact. Southampton and Everton. Southampton 2-0. Did Everton
1: just make the statement that maybe they're not who we thought they might be? Um, I'm going to say that they're still good but they're not quite as good as maybe the, the, the start of the season suggests. And it was a culmination of things, Andrew. I think uh, they missed Richarlison. Um, more importantly, they missed Seamus Coleman. That meant Godfrey had to play as a fullback again. And from what I'm hearing in the scouting reports on, on Godfrey, he's more of a centre-back, so that's not ideal. Um, there's a couple of things, though, that coagulated for me from this game. If Hames if is even having a slight drop-off, then the chances for Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and and the forward line just dissipate. They just don't happen. Uh, and at the weekend, something that Calvert-Lewin thrives off crosses, as we saw that brilliant um, goal against Liverpool and indeed against Brighton earlier in the season. Not enough quality from from Dina, not enough crosses going in, and then they missed Coleman on the other side, linking with Hamas Rodriguez to set up the same. We remember the goal against Crystal Palace is a good example of that. And then you have the midfield, which struggled. For some reason, DeCore was off it. Sigurdsson, I think his time at Goodison Park is coming to an end. That was he was poor. They were all he, he did
0: hit the bar, almost scored a really beautiful goal.
1: I know, I know, but I I just don't think it's working out. Um sorry to our Icelandic listeners. And um they were both hooked with barely, I think it was fifty-eight minutes on the clock. So there was a couple of things that all came together. And, and one thing that stuck in my mind was what you said was that if, if anything is going to hamper this season um, for Everton, it's probably going to be strength and depth. And we saw that a little bit at the weekend. Um, also losing a player in such uh, unfortunate circumstances. I don't believe uh, Lucas Digne meant to trod on uh, Walker Peters, but it's a definite red. That's, irrelevant
0: that that was interesting because you're right that he i don't think it's i don't know that it's possible to have done what he did on purpose unless you can just like slow things down in your mind like to Uh, to have the timing
1: i think graham soon or roy king could have managed it Uh, all
0: right but like while someone is running to have the timing to then time your stride at the right moment to then step on that guy's foot while he's in front of you at that angle like I, I mean, it's still that, a red, though. It, but right, it's one of those things, that like accident or not. You you have to be off for doing that. It was it was hideous. It, what could have happened there? It was really yeah. frightening. Um, with this statement, so I guess the flaw in it uh, of maybe they're not who we thought they were. Um, I will quote the great, the late great Dennis Green, former NFL coach Arizona Cardinals, who famously once said, "They are who we thought they were." Right. Everton. I think in this performance for me personally is a lot of who I thought they were. Okay. You just referenced in that, like we talked about back in our jump to conclusions week podcast that like there are when it, when all is well, all will be well for them, right. but all is not well over the course of an entire season, whether it's injuries or as we're seeing with Richarlison, red card, you know, Seamus Coleman, not there right now through injury. Like, will they be able to withstand that? Now, I kind of thought that against Southampton they still could, um, although Southampton in their own right is starting to play a lot better too. Um, but we're seeing right now that like the the depth issues on Everton may be what prevents them not from contending for top four. I think the league is wide open enough right now where that can still happen. Um, but if they were starting to dream after their start to the season and, and then getting a point against Liverpool, if they were starting to dream that this could maybe, who knows, this could be their year – I, I don't think I don't think they can get through this season, and and remain at that sort of
1: level with the lack of depth that they have. It's, it's dangerous for me to do that, but I believe I read the stat that Everton started the season with three wins, a draw, and a defeat. Usually, when you start the season like that, you no team has never not ended up in the top four with a start like that. Apart from John Gregory's Aston Villa in ninety eight, ninety nine, who were like almost top at Christmas or something like that, and then obviously fell away. So. Uh, but I don't think that stat really works out in the season we're having right now and accordingly uh five thirty eight have pushed everton down to well let me see there are one two three four five six seventh in the table um
0: so, in what yeah. they're like their personal form table
1: yeah they're uh, they're um i guess they're their pr- their probabilities yeah, um, yeah their probabilities table have Everton in seventh.
0: By the way, I mentioned Richarlison and, and his importance to this club. And look, he has moments where he can be maddening, where he you know takes shots where the, if he makes the pass, they score a goal, that kind of stuff. Yeah. However, um, since he joined the club, I saw the stat that he's missed six matches and Everton have not won any of them. So he is important.
1: Okay. Them, which, is, yeah.
0: which is an obvious statement. By the way, the Dinier red card that we were talking about, um, do you think that'll get rescinded?
1: That they'll have sympathy on the
0: fact that they believe it was clearly an accident.
1: Um, I don't think so. Maybe maybe there's games knocked off the suspension. Uh, okay. For straight red. Yeah, I'll be curious about that one. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Um, all right, one more. JJ, we started with El Clasico, and we finish with El Tráfico. JJ, the statement being with Carlos Vela back. Did LAFC just make
1: the statement of we're back? um i'm gonna i'm gonna say yes they did because they are back in the sense that they're getting fit at the right time to to have carlos vea come into the into the equation albeit off the bench in the last few minutes albeit wearing a sleeve or you know taking all the necessary precautions for those you know those terribly cold winters that one has in um los angeles i'm joking i understand the reasons for the sleeves from a physiological standpoint but um yeah, I think they are. I think they're they're in good they're in good shape. Um they didn't play amazingly well against LA Galaxy. They I watched that game, they were good enough, I thought. I think they shaded it, probably deserved it, had a lot of luck in terms of VAR and refereeing. Um but I think if you can have the league's MVP, the league's outstanding player suddenly jettisoned into your squad for the business end of of a league. Yeah, they're back. That's the statement.
0: Yeah, I agree with you about that. And part of it it's not even necessarily just them, although I think some of the things they found out about themselves while he was out are really important. Like Danny Mazowski came in and and now is a player for them. Like that's a guy who they can count on, I believe. And you know, Diego Rossi has taken his level up to I think MLS superstar status. I think he's that good. Um, but so some of this is them and how good we know they can be, especially with Vela in the lineup. But some of this is also parody in the Western conference. You know, like if you look right now, LA, LAFC, they've managed to stay afloat. They're fourth in the West. And you look at the teams above them. And I mean, look, you know how much I love the Seattle Sounders, but they have not lost. They, they have not won their last three matches, including a three, one loss to a Vela Less LAFC and a nil, nil draw with San Jose. Uh, so, you know, I think Seattle can find it and get it together when it, when it counts in the postseason. but right now their form is not where they would want it to be. You know, Portland, we've talked about the injuries there with Blanco now done for the season with his injury. Um, and then there's sporting Kansas city who, yes, they will be difficult defensively. They're fantastic. Um, and they can be dangerous up front with Alan Polito. Um, but like, I don't know, (laughs) like, do we believe that they have the firepower to keep up with LAFC? If it comes down to that, like, I, I don't know. LAFC have scored 42 goals this season and, and they've scored pretty much all but what? One of those without Vela? I
1: I, I don't Most know but league. But put it this way um the freshest team, the team that has weathered this kind of crazy schedule where they're playing so many games is going to be the more likely team to win it. And whether you look at the roster that Sporting KC have and put it up against LAFC and say, Well, I much prefer LAFC may be irrelevant. It may be fatigue, may be a huge factor. And if if Sporting Kansas City have found a way to stay fresh, that may be the the divining factor in this whole thing. I don't know. I think being able to bring Vela back in at this point is just such a huge boon for uh, for Bob Bradley. And he should be fresh.
0: Like there's still a couple games left before the playoffs, so you would think, okay, ideally they can use these games to get him back to fitness. And then- it's about
1: getting minutes in right now for him, really. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure his time will be managed. He'll probably get 20 minutes the next game. Maybe he'll get a half the game after that, depending on how he goes.
0: So there you go JJ that was uh that was our statement weekend here on the podcast for those who feel like that felt a, a little similar to our jump to conclusions podcast I would tell you to mind your own business <laughs> let us do what we do and don't worry about it.
1: Yeah. Can I just uh give one more quick statement and before we go to the break um Aston Villa perfect start to the season crushed by Bielsa on Friday and a hat trick by the Earl of Bamford. This was this was a good game. This was a very enjoyable game, and and Villa were in it right up until Jack Grealish slalom through and uh, couldn't find the net. And then the, Bielsa, the, the Bielsa-ing began, Andrew, and it was um, another one of those performances where if you weren't a Leeds supporter, or rather put Leeds as your second team, which, again... Just how they are for many people. just wait until their fans come back <laughs> um, but yeah, un- uh, unbelievable f- performance, and uh, it looks as if with a performance like that, Earl Bamford will definitely not be declaring for the Republic of Ireland. So. Why, do, why do you call him that? Uh, Bamford is such an early name, and it's, he, and his, also his accent is, is not Yorkshire, it's much more it's much more upper class than that, so he's become the Earl of Bamford. Oh,
0: I see. All right. That's as good an explanation as any, I suppose. Um, I'll tell
1: you what, let's take a quick break. When we come back, there were a couple
0: other matches we want to talk about. We've got a a little bit of a Champions League preview for this week. Red cards, man of the match. Don't go anywhere. Much more caught offside still to come. Oh, back now, caught offside. Uh, JJ, there were um, a couple other matches I wanted to talk about quickly here uh, from the Premier League. Manchester United and Chelsea, probably your uh, your glamour fixture from over the weekend, but it was this was only what the second nil nil of the season so far.
1: Yeah, it was dreadful. It was really bad. Um, but I think both sides will walk away content and they'll forget this one fairly quickly. Like look at the context. United had conceded nine goals in their last two home league games, and Chelsea had conceded six in their last three league games. They'll take a nil nil at this point. I think, and they were set up to do that. I mean, the enduring thing and the enduring image from this one is Harry Maguire's Stone Cold Steve Austin headlock on Aspilacuta, which VAR deemed to be just fine, just fine. I don't know how that can be allowed to happen. I, mean, I wouldn't mind. The funniest thing was Maguire headed the ball away whilst he had uh, while he while he had in his kung fu grip. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy, very very strange, very strange. Um, One other thing, an apology from me to some of our listeners who tried to suggest, quite rightly, it would seem that the signing of Donny Van de Beek was a depth signing. Whereas I argued, I don't know where he fits in, but he absolutely has to start. Well, Donny sat up there in the stands, didn't even come on for this one. And um, Tim Stark on Instagram wanted to ask us, why did Manchester United buy Donny Van de Beek? Um, I guess Tim the answer is that Solskjaer's three or four targets that he wanted in the in the window were not fulfilled, and that um Donny van de Beek was this kind of consolation prize that they could get at a good price. He added depth to a midfield that maybe wasn't gonna feature uh Pogba very often. And Look, no.
0: I mean, I, I give you credit for trying to come up with the reasons, but I'm trying to, but like, don't even think about it as hard as you are. You and I talked about this when they signed him. We liked it because we really like him, but we both said when it happened, are we sure this is the right club for this guy? Like, where yeah. does he fit? He doesn't. And we're seeing right now that, you know, maybe it was some kind of reactionary purchase. Like, oh, you know, oh, we're not going to get Jaden Sancho. Well, we've got to get somebody. Okay, who's the best one out there? Him? Does he fit? I don't. Who cares? Make it work. And and maybe they will. Maybe it's going to take some time. Maybe someone will get hurt and he'll have his chance. But you're right. Right now, like, and he comes on. What was it last week? He came on. He scored a goal. Um, He he came on against Newcastle and
1: one. But he came on against Newcastle and instantly they look better. (laughs) So,
0: yeah. So I don't know. It it makes you wonder. For him, too, I understand a player wanting to go and and who has an opportunity to go play at a club like Manchester United, but I wonder how much sometimes players think about those kinds of things, too. You know, how will I fit on this team? Will I actually... uh, That has to be a conversation. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I'm sure these guys have so much faith in themselves that they just think, well, you know, I'll show them how good I am and I'll force
1: my way in, but it's not always that simple. And and let's be honest, there's... (laughs) It's hard to imagine a scenario in which they're sat round a table and they they put it to Donny Van Der Beek. Oh, Donny, you will be a depth signing, right? And he, oh cool, be, oh cool, great, yeah. No, right, right. no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to work. Uh, by the way, just before we leave Manchester United, uh, the rumor in the Athletic today was that they're ready to go again, possibly in the summer, for Erling Brout Holland. So if you if you can't get enough of United transfer sagas. You got a big one coming, baby.
0: Well, I'll say this: if Dortmund's history is any indication, Holland will not play for them forever. So, you know, why? Not? If you are one of these clubs that feels like they have money to spend and they need somebody, you know, for that position, why not? I mean, United, the, United probably should be half.
1: Orlando. I know United are a big club, but half the world is going to be in for him in terms of the best but teams. Not, but it's really only a few teams, right? Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It and, will and only maybe. be a few teams. Yeah. And it's uh, uh, it's Mina Raiola they have to charm. So good luck.
0: Oh. Uh, let's see, JJ. Also, Leicester City, it had been a rough run of form for them, but uh, they go into London, into the Emirates Stadium, and they take three points from Arsenal, 1-0, Jamie Vardy in the 80th minute, off the bench. I thought he was hurt. What happened there? Calf injury, doesn't, doesn't matter. He just, there is no stop. To this guy.
1: Andrew, do you ever read a stat after a game where you just drink it in and you go, "Mm, that is some good stat where the stat is so creamy and rich. You're like, "Mm, perfect. It's like a good cup of coffee. I got one for you, my friend. Duncan Alexander at oily sailor on Twitter purveyor of fine stats. 24%. That's almost a quarter folks of Jamie Vardy's premier league goals have come versus Arsenal, Liverpool, or Manchester City. And you have to say, fair enough. What a stat that is. A is. Big-time players of, show up
0: for big-time games, right? A
1: quarter of the goals. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, great player. What was it? A few weeks ago, someone was asking us if he's world-class? What a ridiculous question.
1: He absolutely is. Uh, but I made the caveats that um, you don't think of him because Leicester aren't in the Champions League and he doesn't play for England.
0: Yeah, um, not good for Arsenal. Uh, and this season has kind of gone. It's kind of developed in a in a funny way where like the the prevailing thought on them before the season was that okay they'll score goals, but they haven't done a ton to fix that defense. Okay. They brought in Gabrielle, but will a young player like him acclimating to this league, will that be enough? Yeah. Um, well, right now they're not letting in a ton, but they're not scoring any either.
1: No. Um, it's interesting. I, I read the Arse blog match report on this, which was really good. And he, you know, Arse blog talks about missed chances, talks about a lack of creativity as well, which with Danny Ceballos in the middle of the park, you, you kind of scratching your head, but he also said not playing Obama Yang as central striker. Why is that not happening? Why is he playing? I think off to the right or to the left, or I'm not sure even where he lined up at the weekend. But he was he was not down the middle. Uh, Lacazette was down the middle, and um, also talking about creativity, Arteta said that when Sil- uh, when um, David Luiz had to come off, that that uh, created a problem in terms of creativity. Um, and as blog says, um, it certainly tells you something about a game, but also a team when losing a center half essentially nullifies you as a creative force.
0: He, he's right to say that. However, in watching this, David Luis did play well. I mean, some of his passes were, were dead on. Was it uh, Bukaya Saka that he set up with a ball um, that was, I mean, it was really perfect. Saka just couldn't, his first touch kind of let him down a little bit, but I actually thought David Luiz did play fairly well, and we've been very hard on him. We have not been shy about that. No,
1: I mean, I will repeat it. I've said it ad nauseum. Rafa Benitez found the place for him. It was center midfield because he can pass. So defensively, not so good.
0: Yeah, uh, so frustration for Arsenal um, as they drop a game at home to Leicester. This was Leicester City's first win at Arsenal, I believe. What was it I heard Arlo White say? 47 years?
1: That's incredible, isn't it? another one of those stats you just oh you drink it up just that's not okay. as good as my one
0: no I'll, I'll concede that i'll concede that uh all right jj it is a champions league week um I, i've first actually before i even get to some of the matches it's important to note sometimes you just wish why can't the world why can't we all just be on the same page from a clock perspective <laughs> um but i wanted to let everybody know in case you're out there looking for when the games will be on um So daylight savings, I guess, has already happened in Europe, Yes, but but not in the United States. Why that is, I don't know. I'm sure there's a farmer out there who can explain it to me. Um, So this week, um, look for, I'm reading this now from ESPN, uh, this week's Champions League games do in fact start at 1.55 and 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, So I guess those are the times to be looking for for your champions league action there you go just a little just a little public service um here are there are more games than what i'll mention here but here are a few of the bigger ones that i uh, kind of had earmarked Bayern munich and locomotive moscow i really only wanted to mention this because Bayern are coming off a five nil um robert Lewandowski with another phenomenal game hat trick he is uh he's a good player he is quite a player, and if I were Locomotive Moscow, I'd, I'd be a little bit worried about the buzzsaw that they're running into there. <laughs> uh, the next one, JJ, that I had here, there's two. So I, I have games that are earmarked, and then I have the earmarked games of the earmarked games.
1: Oh, my God, the curated earmarked games. This, this one,
0: it may not jump off the page necessarily if you're just quickly scrolling through and seeing what games are coming up, but I would say of all the Champions League matches this coming match day, I think if you could only watch one, it would be Atalanta and Ajax. Um, we, we talked about that, um, the ESPN FC report a, few, a couple of weeks ago about the 11 most fun attack-minded teams in the in European soccer right now. Atalanta were number one on that list. And then, J.J., Ajax over the weekend poured in 13 in their 13-0 win in the Dutch Eredivisie. This is these are two teams that are open, that are fun to watch. Yeah. They will not bend their style regardless of who they're playing and this has the chance to be a really really entertaining
1: game. This is so weird to me because okay, Ajax hammer VVV Venlo 13-0 in the Eredivisie and Atlanta batter Michelin in their first Champions League game last week, but then they've lost to Sampdoria. That's two successive defeats in a row in Serie A, but yet I'm still put, m- putting money on Gasparini's men. So okay. I fancy I fancy Atalanta in this one, but you're right. It could be fascinating.
0: Yeah, it, it really could. Uh, speaking of Michelin, they play your Liverpool. Mm. And there's an interesting article about this, uh, about Michelin in particular at the Guardian, uh, where they talk about how this is kind of the club that really made analytics a thing in European play. And a lot of other clubs are now emulating them. Liverpool in particular, because it was your, who was it? You talked about JJ, uh, Thomas Granemark, the
1: throw in coach throwing coach. Yeah.
0: So there was a the big deal made about when Liverpool brought him in, they brought him from Michelin. Yes. Uh, and it has like, it was mocked at first, but Liverpool's, they went from, I think fifth worst throw in percentage success rate to, uh, to second best in all of Europe. Um, since he arrived and people can mock it but you can't say that that doesn't make some kind of difference so yeah michelin are one of those kind of like under the radar trend-setting analytic clubs so uh, i thought it was interesting that these two were against one another
1: yeah and apparently according to the athletic united are looking for more data analysts oh because they've only they've only just got into that part just dipping their toe in the water dipping their toe in it
0: all right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Marseille and Manchester City. We talked about Manchester City earlier. Uh, this feels like an important game for them if they want to start to feel good again. Uh, Krasnodar and Chelsea. And then JJ, Juventus and Barcelona, which was the other game that I had italicized um, because yeah. it's it's uh, Barcelona obviously coming in off of a um, a tough defeat to Real Madrid and El Clasico. And it's Juventus coming in off of a kind of a bad draw. Yes. Uh, for them in Syria. Uh, this season has not quite gotten off to the roaring
1: start that they had probably hoped. Um interesting thing about this is we're going to we ha- we won't know until 24 hours Ronaldo has to take another covid test and that has to be clean. So we're waiting to see whether that's going to be okay. We hope it is. Um and speaking all- of which
0: by the way, Weston McKinney – uh is negative has tested negative enough where I think he can
1: now return as well right he couldn't return at the weekend but I think he's he's in he's in the sweet zone now to return um so that's the Ronaldo side and on the Messi side of things according to an article I read in Forbes Messi's on his worst drought since 2007-2008 at this point of a season with six matches down and ever since becoming a frequent goal scorer so this is a bit of a drought for for the big man
0: yeah Messi-Ronaldo not quite in the uh, the form in which we typically see them. Well, Ronaldo, if he he has to play to be in form, yeah. Uh, but Messi. By the way, speaking of Ronaldo and how we're used to seeing him, do you see he shaved his head? I did not see that. Yeah, look it up. It's it's jarring. Not going to say it's bad. It's just I don't know. He's kind of like he's a I hair guy, could, you know. Yeah, I think he could pull off a well look, shaved head. He's he's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's he's an Adonis. He can he can pull off any look that he wants. But it was just jarring. Like, remember when David Silva was suddenly
1: bald? Oh, yeah, but that was for another reason. Right, but it was still jarring. I kind of felt that
0: way. Like, he's a guy who I kind of, like, know... I can always find him out there because of his hair.
1: Okay, he's a hair
0: guy. Yeah, Ronaldo's a hair guy.
1: All right, yeah.
0: Um, And then one more, by the way, Manchester
1: United and RB Leipzig. Uh, this This one blows my mind. So, United coming off that win against PSG. So, if United are playing... Um, For example, a PSG or Manchester City, Solskjaer United I'm talking about now. I'd put money on Manchester United to get the upset, right? But where do RB Leipzig fall into that? A very good team, but not quite a PSG. Um, Should I be like seeing or expecting a Solskjaer special in this one? Or does he get out Nagelsmann by talent and tactics?
0: Are you, no. asking, well, are you asking me who I think is a better team? No. Who,
1: who I think will win this game? No, yeah, no, no. I, no, I, I think, think RB Leipzig is better than Manchester United. I, I believe that to be the case, Andrew. What I'm saying is, though, is that we've kind of got into a groove with United where they'll lose to Crystal Palace. You won't know what they'll do against Southampton, but you can put your bet your bottom dollar that they're going to beat PSG and they're going to beat City. So Leipzig fall into a different category. I mean, I expect Leipzig to win it, but. So you're saying, in terms of stature, Leipzig
0: are somewhere in that nether zone between a PSG and a Crystal Palace?
1: Is that what I'd, I'm trying to get from you? I don't know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it's hard to call what United are going to do these days. Okay. Well, I'm going to say they're going to lose. Okay. That? Oh, by the way, just uh, just one quick point on the Krasnodar Chelsea game. Expect 1-0 Chelsea and also expect the following phrases for your post-match bingo. Ground out a victory and it's always tricky to come here. Thanks. <laughs> All right. I'm going
0: to set up a bingo card. Put some we of sh- those on there. We, we should, should think it. what are other like amazing football clichés that we can put on that bingo card?
1: Early doors. Yeah, we got on top of them uh, early doors, but then, you know, uh, they got back into it and we really struggled from there. (laughs) Uh, So that's your Champions League action for the week. Brings us now
0: towards the end of the show, JJ, which means... (coughs) That was a loud whistle into this very sensitive microphone. Red card! Uh, I'm going to go first here.
1: I'll allow it.
0: My red card, it's a shared red card, goes to both Fulham and Sheffield United. Oh, uh, so this sounds both like clubs, a dull red card. Yeah, kind of, but I, it's information-based. I want to get some information out there to the public. Uh, both clubs lost over the weekend, meaning that they remain tied at the bottom with one point through six matches. Only two clubs have ever fared worse through six matches. Three years ago, Crystal Palace lost all six, but they did manage to stay up. That was like the Roy Hodgson, um, like I picture him as like wearing a oh, cape into rescue the day. That, was the, Roy that was the Frank DeBoer start. Yeah. 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 There you go.
1: Good old Frankie,
0: a nice portent of things to come in MLS. (laughs) Um, and then in 2009, 10, in that season, Portsmouth lost all six and they never even threatened staying up and it, it actually hasn't gone great since for them. I don't know if people are no, aware. No, but they're, they're on the way back. True, true. Uh, so what does history really tell us about the challenge that uh, the Cottagers and Blades are now faced with? Well, I'm reading here from the BBC. Uh, a further 11 teams have claimed a solitary point from their opening six top flight games, and of those sides, only Sunderland in 2014, Newcastle in 2000, Southampton in 99, and Blackburn in 97 managed to stay up. So history is not really on the side right now of fulham and sheffield united even though it's been six just six games history tells you that that's that's enough of a sample size to know that these two are actually in in real trouble uh been kind of strange for fulham if you watch their games they they possess a lot of the ball like typically you feel like these these teams that like can't generate anything you know they're just constantly on the back heel fulham they they kind of almost dominate possession but they have nothing to show for it just five goals from 76 shots now I don't know if that means they're just kind of getting off feeble attempts or if that means that you know at some point it's bound to balance itself out a little bit and they'll start converting some of these many chances maybe it's a little bit of both Uh, and meanwhile Sheffield United's next match is against Manchester City uh, so it doesn't get much easier for them uh, moving forward kind of disappointing for Sheffield United after what we saw from Chris Wilder and and the the crew last year.
1: Yeah. You got to wonder what do they do now? Do they, do they change what made them so successful? Have teams copped onto them? They were good against Liverpool for, for the opening. Well, Liverpool had the first flurry and then for about 20, 25 minutes after that, they were, they were actually pretty good. They'll, you got to think they'll turn it around. Are they the most likely to turn it around?
0: But what you mentioned though, about their style is interesting because I do believe even with advanced scouting and everything, there is something to seeing a style of like, center backs bombing forward that maybe you're just not accustomed to, but like, you're right. Maybe the secret's out and yeah. clubs are just not going to be caught off guard in the way that they were in Sheffield United's first year back in the league. I don't know. We'll see. You're right. Will they, they're, they're so known for that. Like, will they continue to just do what they feel is what they do best? Or are they going to have to now really change? Interesting.
1: Uh, what do you have? Um, my red card. Uh, first of all, it starts off with congratulations to Jermaine Defoe. For hitting 300 career goals this weekend after finding the net for Glasgow Rangers against Livingston, a really magnificent goal too. Um, one touching, Andrew, a long ball in stride into the back of the net just drops for him perfectly. And he one times it. beautiful goal. Uh, but the red card is more along his time. Do you remember when he was in MLS, Andrew, at Toronto? Of course. Yeah, I thought it was a really bad period, but he had 12 goals in 21 games. I did see him live a couple of times. It it, it wasn't great. I oh, crushed him, I remember. Yeah, yeah. It, towards the end, it, it wasn't good. And um, generally not viewed as a great move. But did you know that there is a rapper responsible, or at least partly responsible, for this move? Um, let's just say that there were champagne poppy promises that remained unfulfilled. Have a listen to this. This is Jermaine Defoe talking to Peter Crouch. Mate, this private number's come up. I don't really answer this. I've answered it. I didn't really say anything. Hello, it's just Jermaine. I was like, "Who's this?" It's Drake. Really? So I said, "I was like, yeah, good one." Really? Yeah? And it was like, "No, nah, seriously, it's Drake." Mate, I just went silent on the phone. Wow, I like, nah, that's nah, really Trust me, you should come because really? he's ambassador at the club of, of Toronto FC. So uh, you come over, you'll love it. When I come over, I'll take you out. I'll take you for dinner. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah mate, sign, never seen him. (laughs) Never seen him.
0: Proper Proper, proper chairman. I've got over there. He's never there. Drake, he's always in America. I've never seen him.
1: So, (laughs) so Drake cold called Jermaine Defoe, convinced him to sign him probably based on the fact that they could hang out. Could you imagine being at a Drake party? Yes, please. Is there any,
0: uh, I'm trying to think if there's any celebrity more associated with a city than Drake is with Toronto.
1: uh, Jack, Jack Nicholson and uh, Los Angeles. But like every later. celebrity
0: is Los Angeles. They all live in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, but like, he is linked to those Drake Lakers is like games. unique with, yeah. with
0: being from Toronto. And he's like so proud of it. Like he's at every Raptors game, playoff game uh, behind the bench. Uh, and he's calling Jermaine Defoe to come play for Toronto FC. Like he's he just, this guy just is like screams Toronto.
1: God, I would be sickened, though. Wouldn't you be sickened, too, though? You know, the, the idea that you get to hang out with Drake for a little bit, go to those parties, and then, no, doesn't even call you.
0: Yeah, that's unf- I wonder if Jermaine Defoe, does he say if he tried to then get in touch with Drake? No. If he, that wouldn't have been cool, I guess. Like, Drake, what's up? I thought we were going to hang out. Who's this? <laughs> I'm sorry. You have the wrong number. Yeah, that's too bad. Oh. All right. Uh, my man of the match, JJ. Quick one for me. Um, sometimes I feel like a, a player of some note they'll you know we're very we're Premier League centric all right it is it's what we are it's what we're we football
1: in. centric you shut up
0: we talk a lot about the Premier League and so you know that sometimes a player of of note will leave the league and depending on where they go they kind of then just like leave our consciousness like since Aaron Ramsey left Arsenal how many times have we talked about Aaron Ramsey
1: yeah but I mean right? how many like, times uh, it, how many times has he done anything of note at event <laughs>
0: all right fair touche touche divani um So I I say all that because this might turn out to be a little bit different with David Silva and Real Sociedad. Uh, Sociedad defeated Huesca 4-1 over the weekend and are now top of the table in La Liga. And even at 34, David Silva has been more than just a passenger. He had two assists in the win. Uh, Sociedad's fourth in their first five matches. Uh, his start with the new club got off to a bit of a delayed start after he tested positive for COVID nineteen, and he's spoken about the process of getting reacclimated to La Liga, specifically from a referee's perspective. He's already been booked twice, and, he's, <laughs> he, and like this is not a guy who's known for accumulating yellow cards. Uh, so he, he was talking about how like they just call a lot more uh, in Spain than they do in England. This years not- have
1: been, years have been bulldozed by Ryan Shawcross. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly exactly uh but in seeing his performance over the weekend you'd have to think that the uh the reacclimation may happen a little bit quicker than expected and you also can't help but wonder if manchester city are watching him right now thinking hmm might have been nice to have a player like like that in the squad we don't so talk props david silva
1: yeah man we don't talk enough about uh real sociedad but apparently san sebastian is so amazingly beautiful that yeah. if you if were to pick a club you you probably would play for them if all things well, I've seen being
0: pictures of their ground oh and it's like yes it's very it's very picturesque
1: so so john aldridge left liverpool to join them in the late 80s uh, early 90s and was a legend there scored loads of goals in his one season there wanted to stay but ended up going back to merseyside but a local butcher gave him a stake promised him a mistake for every goal he scored he scored like 40 something goals for them in like 50 games. Uh, So he was dining out on steak and he said he, when he goes back, he's a legend there. Absolutely. That's cool. That is very cool. Um, my man of the match is a, a Twitter handle. Um, Andrew, this is what made us laugh pre podcast. It's called eighties footballers aging badly at eighties aging. And the tagline is being a footballer in the 1980s took its toll. It's the funniest Twitter handle for football I've ever been on. Basically uh they uh, this guy who tweets from the 80s aging uh Twitter handle tweets out pictures of baseball cards or the the football cards the collectible cards of players from the 1980s and gives their real ages accompanying the photo there is no person who looks older than 27 28 in their 30s who does not look in their 60s or in their 50s these guys are were like pears or a banana. They just aged so much differently. Like me and you, Andrew, look at us right now. We are fresh-faced. We're both in our mid-30s. We are fresh-faced boys compared to these guys. It's unbelievable. So I'm looking at it.
0: I'm scrolling through it now. It's honestly one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Right. I don't don't know how to explain it other than like... You know, because maybe (laughs) this guy's 32. (laughs) Look (laughs) at Henry Hall. Like the only thing I could think of, JJ, is like because soccer is now, I'm not saying it wasn't glamorous in the 80s, but it's such a TV sport now. It's so much more than just the game. There's such like a glamour commercial element to it. I just have to believe that players do more to – Like they they worry more about their appearance than what we had here in the 80s. Like guys who may be bald, like instead of just being like, whatever, I'm bald, I'm just going to continue to let hair grow where it grows and whatever I look like is how I look. Like now they'll just shave their head and look cool like that. Like, you know, or guys maybe like who would go gray prematurely, maybe they like are dying their hair on the
1: down. Andrew, I, I, I accept part of that. Ma- male grooming, moisturising has got to be a big issue. These guys are in their early 30s and they look 75. There's a player called Julian Cools. I'm sorry. Julian is like 33. He looks not a day over 80. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, Now, a, a friend of mine, so I regularly get these uh, updates from at 80s eight, aging and I, I send them on to my buddies and I always go, This is not possible. How is this man 31? How is this guy 25? Um and and the response I get is they drank all the way through their careers, they drank. Um they smoked as well. A lot of players smoked. All right. Um, maybe that's a that's a cause I was gonna say I you and I like we'll drink
0: like we don't we look like we're in our 20s still no like why does alan woodward <laughs> oh, he's 31 why does he look like he's 77 like it actually almost annoys me i want to say to him like, what's what's your problem why do you
1: look like this you're 31 man it's so, so weird so at 80s aging is the handle uh 80s footballers aging badly uh is is how you find it. Um, and he's doing the FA Cup of badly aging footballers <laughs> every day this week. Uh, Chris, o- Chris O'Dowd, the actor, is getting involved and he tweets, don't believe the polls, vote.
0: Incredible matchup between Alex Rennie and Alan Cork right now. Alex uh, Rennie, uh, is, is that the latest one? No, it, it's actually, I think it's already been decided. A- Alan Cork at 34 years old looks like Rip Torn when he was in his 80s.
1: Alan is that, is that Alan Cork that uh, he was the centre mid for Sheffield United? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, I remember him. I remember being ten years of age watching him this play is for Sheffield United. He, he, he looks sixty three. <laughs> I mean, you, you must be the smoking thing. I didn't think about that. That that could definitely smoking be. Smoking puts huge lines in your face and degrades yeah. the skin. That could definitely be
0: some of it. Some of these guys, though, they like they're too young to have these kind of. Wrinkles, yeah, and just like weathered appearances. (sighs) It's weird, man. It's so weird. Uh, well, that's that's fantastic. What you could spend a long time on that Twitter account.
1: Oh, my god, I scrolled through it far too much. And I mean, I know some of the players like they had hard lives, but he put up a picture of um, oh, who was it that he put up the picture of? Oh, yeah, Ray Parler, the ex Arsenal player who I mean, a lot of our listeners will remember playing for Arsenal. They put up a picture of him when he was 15. (laughs) He looks 32.
0: I mean, this, it exists sometimes. Like I remember when Greg Oden was in college at Ohio state college basketball, I was like, that guy's not 18. That's a 46 year old man. Yeah. <laughs> so like you see it every once in a while, this day and age, but there, you're right. There's something about that decade where like these guys were just, it's
1: weird. It's I, very weird. I should make one more point. Um, a lot of these guys, had jobs they didn't go straight into academies and come up through the ranks they had jobs and they played non-league and maybe they got bought by somebody and they moved up the divisions like ian wright was a plasterer up until about 15 minutes before he signed professional contract with crystal palace and he joined arsenal at like 26 or 27 now ian wright has better skin than these guys but i'm just trying to make a point anyway um the web or the twitter handle i, I keep butchering this so i'm gonna get it right again at 80s aging 80s footballers aging badly get involved vote in the world cup it's um it's well worth wasting your time on this
0: (laughs) there you go well hey this was a fun podcast man i enjoyed this champions league coming up uh during the week i did want to say before we get out because we have listeners who may be concerned or wondering uh we mentioned daryl grove at the start of last week's podcast and um sadly he did pass away last week It's horribly tragic. It's incredibly sad. Um, I don't really have much to say about it other than um, all of our thoughts, our, our wishes for whatever they're worth. Um, we're thinking about his family, uh, Taylor Rockwell as well, his longtime friend and podcast partner. Um, it's terrible. It's uh, it's really terrible. Cancer is, you know, it's it's a beast. I know everybody is still, you know, very rightfully so focused on the coronavirus but yeah. there are there are still some some other terrible diseases out there cancer of course being one of them and um, just feel felt sick about it uh, all weekend long so uh, nothing more really for me to say other than uh, rest in peace Daryl grove
1: um, same for me and um, one thing I've read about Daryl he seemed to be an incredibly kind person and cared about other people and so um, I would tell everybody if in, in that spurt go look at Marcus rashford's twitter feed and the things he's doing for starving children i don't want to speak for Daryl grove but i would imagine that that's something he would um he would have got behind and uh, rest in peace and um, my condolences my deepest condolences to his family
0: that is our show for the week jj love you brother
1: love you too man